Okay, got it. Ready? <clears throat> You're listening to Paul Elmore. Paul Elmore. <laughs> Last week, there was a suggestion that learning how to love your enemies, learning how to be countercultural, learning how to do something completely different from what the world says is actually probably one of the best ways to move from a place of being stuck to unstuck. And there was a lot of questions, a lot of wrestling around some of that. And yet it was a pretty obvious that you can make a pretty lucrative movie out of that idea. The idea is how to actually do that in real life. It is not easy. Movies are easy. Life is tough. Fair enough? Does that sound right? Yeah. It is not easy at all. As I wrestled with this all week, I think I've come as close as I can to having a silver bullet, okay? That, that kind of, this one answer will answer every single one of those objections that we bumped up against last week. How about that? We had all those objections and how to apply this, how to put it into practice. And, and I think I've come up with the, the one concept that kind of synergizes it all together. And I, I want to put it into kind of a, a story for you. It is 7.32 right now. Let's imagine that at 7.35, three minutes from now, my phone rings. And it is someone on the phone saying, Paul, your wife has been in a terrible, terrible accident. You need to come to the hospital right now. I go... Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Have a good night. And I leave everything, and I simply head out that door. And I, on the way out, Ben comes up, and he kind of is, is taking over for the evening. Um, and we find out that there are two or three of you who are highly offended that I am not following through on my commitment to stay here and speak to you. They, they believe that they came to hear me and that the fact that I'm leaving in now th two minutes, um, that highly offends them. What would you say to me or to them? They're insensitive jerks. So they're insensitive jerks. Okay, that's, that's one way of putting it. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Don't hold back. Anyone else? What would your thoughts be towards me? What would your thoughts be towards them? Thank you. Concern for my, for my bride. Yeah. Yes. 
more than 10 items go through that yeah. grocery line. Yeah. Because they're very um, skewed. Yeah. We'll call it skewed. Something. Something. Mm, something like that. Yeah. Anyone else? Any other thoughts, please? How so? That's interesting. That we always have a choice to be offended or not be offended. Interesting. What's, yeah. I guess I feel like the, the people who were offended by you leaving, I, I can't imagine that they really understood what had just happened. Huh. How they're ignorant or they missed it. How could they possibly be offended that fast? Does, doesn't even com compute, doesn't even yeah, make sense, know, doesn't, doesn't register. Matter. Sure. Yes. I'm thinking about responsibility. Okay. Your first responsibility is to your wife and your family. Okay. Not to us as a group. We can always learn from another person. Got it. Got it. Yes. It's all about them. It's all about them. Possibly. Possibly. Okay, so you try to understand them. Yes. Absolutely. Hold on a second. Yes. Do you think there are other individuals that really have a challenge with being able to respect their faith at all? Okay. So I would kind of like wonder whether or not they would be in that category, kind of a, a child, adult child, don't have this expression. So even lacking the capacity to shift into a, a, an adult mm -hmm. status. Here's interesting. So far, none of you have talked about me. You've always talked about the person who was offended. What's your thoughts about me? I'm leaving you guys. Yeah. For me, I see the situation as an emergency responder. Okay. You're the responder, and you're heading out to the emergency. And so how the people feel here is really of no consequence to really? the situation. Really? Feelings are neutral. But if somebody's feeling offended because they're narcissistic, right. then their feelings, are, in my opinion, are negative. Huh. And their thought processes are producing negative feelings. Yeah. Those feelings are wrong. The story they're telling in their head is creating those emotions, but the situation itself is not. I appreciate your graciousness to me so far. Hold on a second. We're going to grab some here. This is actually very nice of you. I was, yes, yes. Right. And your priorities in that. So I'm leaving you, and you actually respect me more. Yeah. How because, very interesting. Because you're leaving for family. For family. Yeah. For a good reason. Yeah. Yes. But what if we were paying for this? That's right. <laughs> Shh. You actually are. Oh. <laughs> Don't tell anybody that. Yeah. Yes. Got it. 
What if Ben is a crappy speaker? <laughs> That's what? That's more about Ben. That's a whole nother week right there. Yeah. Way in the back. Shout. You'd be receptive to my needs. Wow. Thank you. You guys are remarkably gracious. Yes. Yeah. I would feel more connected to you because huh. you've made something very personal. Like I can feel that for you. Okay. Because you've been vulnerable by sharing. I actually was just very um, amazed that you politely excused yourself because I would have been yeah. running out of that room and not thinking clearly. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Nikki. Really? Yes. Me? You. Me. <laughs> Your okay. turn. Okay, me. So, you had excused yourself because your wife was not bald due to an accident that just happened? Yeah. November 19th, 2007, my parents had family and friends over for dinner. And what happened? My dad got to call your daughter is going to die. Yeah. I was in the hospital, so... They dropped, they dropped everything. So this is a very personal so story. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, I'm hearing, I, I don't disagree with the conversation that's happening in the room, but what I'm hearing is that this is all based on a premise that you conveyed what actually took place. Yes. As opposed to just walk out of the room and not yes. have any foreknowledge as to what actually took place and your reason for walking out of the room. Yeah. So you're... People's reactions would be staunchly different if you just yeah. like, peace out, I'm leaving. Yeah. See ya. One, one, yep. So we all we have to know people's story to understand their behavior, and it changes our perception of yeah. their why they're doing their motivation. We slip into the brain, the mind reading stuff all the time. Yes, and then we'll keep going. Okay. Thank you. That's very nice. <laughs> Would anything change? Would anything change if half of you are now offended at me? I've left, same scenario, but now half of you, this half over here, we'll call it the red ships, okay? They're already <laughs> problematic, okay? <laughs> if half of the group now says, I can't believe that guy, he just got up and left, does that change anything of our conversation so far? Yep. And I'm, I'm going to leave. You didn't, I didn't know if you clarified that you're going to explain to everybody why you're leaving and then he's going to take over. Got it. I didn't hear that. My wife is in an accident. I got to go. Goodbye. That's the explanation. Yeah. On the way out. I'll return your microphone later, kind of thing. So. You and three other guys. Yes. <laughs> Sure. My daughter. I'm her ride home. Yeah. Thanks, kiddo. I'm not sure if you'll get a ride home tonight. Yes. Oh. Groundswell. It's easier to be like, hey, yeah. give me some grace. But when you're in a group and 
Yeah. It's polarizing because now you have to pick a side, right? Right? No. Oh, whoa. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. There was some emotion behind that. Explain. It's not either or. We don't have to pick a side. We can focus on the negative space. Oh, there we go. I like application. Very good. Very good. Man, you guys are just good at this. Yes. Yeah. 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 Sure. Sure. <laughs> Go ahead. Get you guys under control. Yeah. You need a leader. And Ben might be able to handle that. <laughs> Sorry, Ben, I'll take you to lunch, okay? We'll we'll make it right. <laughs> Really? Yeah. And which side would you be on? I would be getting mad at the people getting offended. Who are mad yeah. at me. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yes. I would be, would you tell me? Yep. Um, I would be worried about you, first of all. Okay. So if they started getting angry, then I, or if they were starting to get upset that you left, I think I would get angry and I would get, yeah, I would get angry. You get, You'd be with her and just be offended by the half half the group who's angry. Okay, let's let's take it one step further. Let's um, let's take it out of this group at the moment. I'm speaking somewhere else. Same scenario. Phone call comes. Wife's in an accident. I leave, and the entire group is offended. They put out big dollars, and and I am now welching on my commitment and contract and I just leave in the middle of it, and the entire group is mad at me. What about then? What's your thoughts about me at that moment? Oh, I think that you can ask about yourself. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, so we got the cultural context thing. Yes, that's absolutely a, absolutely a case. Yep, fair enough, fair enough. Yep. Good luck. <laughs> what do you mean? Lawsuit, yeah. Lawyer up. Yep. Um, I wonder about the details of the situation. Okay. So we're still, we're still trying to figure out why they are feeling all of that towards me. Would I be wrong? Yes. So the group or me? The group, the group is selfish and self-centered. And, and is there still consensus that my decision to leave in the middle of a speaking engagement would be appropriate, healthy, good, loving, kind, all those things towards my wife. Our, okay, we're in agreement. We're in congruence here. When you know 
what your primary relationship perspective is, everything gets clear. When you know who you are trying to please, decisions become crystal clear. Because I have enjoyed spending time with you, both this series and six, all six summers. And yet, if my wife was injured, I'm gonna, going to prioritize her over you guys. Not because I don't care about you, but because I have my priorities very clear in my head. And I'm willing to risk being offended. I'm willing to risk offending, sorry. Yeah. I'm willing to risk negative opinions. I'm willing to risk not fitting in. I'm willing to risk being accused of being a bad speaker. I'm willing to encounter and endure all the criticism that would come along with that. And I'll sleep well at night. When you know what your primary relationship is, when that perspective is crystal clear, then every other decision is easy. We can go through, I picked just a couple of them from, from last week. Now, I'm going to make an assumption here. Actually, I'm going to make two assumptions before we kind of jump into this. When you are clear about your relationship with God, when you know where he fits into your life, when you have a healthy, confident perspective of his priority in your life, then when you have to make a decision, especially around loving your enemies, the decision becomes very clear and actually you can figure out what to do. But the assumptions I'm making about God is two things. One is that he is all-knowing and all-powerful, okay? Omnipotent and omniscient. God actually is God. He knows what's going on. And second one, God is good. And I'm going to be very clear about this. God does not do good things. God does not do good things. No. Whatever God does is the definition of good. Do you see the difference? God, creator, omniscient, all-powerful, when we defer to him and go, whatever you want, whatever you do, whatever you decide, that is now the definition of good. Instead of him having to say, I'm going to do good things, because that means he's now subject, subjecting himself to some sort of other um, parameter for de definition of good. Whatever God does is good. That's the two assumptions I'm making as we go into this, these kind of objections real quick here. One of them, one of the objections from last week. If I love my enemy, I won't get my kind of justice. How would you apply the, um, the, the perspective, the proper relationship perspective to if I, if I love my enemy, I won't get my kind of justice? How would that play out? What do you mean by that? What do I mean by that? Last week when we were talking about why is it hard to love your enemies, some of the objections, one of the objections was, if I love my enemy, I won't get my kind of justice. Does that make sense? Everyone tracking with me? Kind of being clear here? All right. I don't think he gets the justice. Well, we'll come back to it in just a second. When you, when you have that statement, there is an error in thinking which says, my opinion is more valid than God's opinion. I'm not going to get my kind of justice. 
my opinion, my definition of justice is now what we are operating on versus, or I actually want to, I want the job of dispensing pure and perfect judgment every time. I'm not sure I'd sign up for that job. I, I don't have the capacity for that. I don't know everything. I don't know everyone's story. I don't know their, their opinion or perspective at all. And so when I, when I now decide my, my opinion and judging people is now the criteria, I think we step into some very dangerous ground. Whereas if we now prioritize and say, if God, if my relationship with God is the priority, then I can trust that an all-knowing and just God knows my wounds and will deal with this person appropriately. He is my priority. When God is the priority, I don't have to worry about getting justice from somebody else. And now we actually have freedom. Wouldn't that be amazing? I know there are people in this room who have been unjustly hurt by bad behaviors from people. And we want, we want justice. I'm going to suggest that going, my relationship with God, and, and I'm going to let him take care of that, will give you more freedom, will get you unstuck faster than anything else. Anything else. It takes practice. You have to learn how to do that. But it will work faster. Is that making sense? I'm not sure I'm tracking. And apply what I'm talking about right here, the, the proper relationship principle. If you trust that God, excuse me, your relationship with God, how does he view you? doesn't matter how you view you. How does God view you? And, and when we can get our heads wrapped around that, when we put our priority on that perspective, again, things clear up. Because we now, we now base ourselves on it. It actually doesn't matter what I think about myself. Um, I still know for a fact that I am unconditionally loved and accepted. Does that make sense? Yeah. Sure. No, you're wrestling, you're wrestling good. You're wrestling good. It's just, yeah. yeah, it's like hard to be like, oh, God loves me, so it's fine. Because it's like there's no standards there. There's no like, here's, like, I, like I'm proud of you because it's like, well, I'm proud of everybody. Like, 
I'm going to invite you to consider that um, what you've just described is an incredibly common perspective of how God relates to the world. Um, and I think it would be actually um, fairly easy to demonstrate from Scripture that that's actually not an accurate reflection of how God relates to us. I have four kids at home. One of them sitting right there. Um, I love her, and yet I do not say, my love allows you to do anything that you want to do without consequence. In fact, that is not love. That's actually hate. When I look at someone, I go, you can do whatever you want, and, and I don't actually care, and I'm still going to love you. That's contempt. That is not love at all. Love says, I want what's best for you, and if you're going to be doing something that's going to harm yourself, I'm actually going to try to stop you. I'm going to try to amend what you are doing because I do not want you to get hurt anymore because I love you so much. Love always, always has parameters, always has boundaries. And so God's unconditional love for us isn't, again, a free pass for everyone can do whatever they want to do. And again, this is a longer conversation, but I, I want you to... Mm-hmm. It's more when it comes to, like, I'm not satisfied with myself because of certain failures. Okay. Like, I think it's okay for me to say I'm not proud of those failures, even though God might say I don't see those failures. Sure. Like, is it okay for me to look at those as failures, despite mm. the fact that, like, God loves me despite it all? Right. Right. That, sure, God loves me even though I'm not the most perfect person. But yeah. I still should be complete. <sighs> this, this can be a, a fun conversation to, to actually pursue out. Um, and, and again, there's, there's some interesting dialogue to go around this. The way I would phrase what you described there is a dog barks because he's a dog, not to become a dog. We do loving things. We do things, we examine ourselves when we do things wrong because we are already loved, not to get more love. And again, there's a difference there and we can talk more about it. But yes, quick question. Yeah. They told me how to vote. They told my daughter there's no Santa Claus. Right. They, they kicked right. my husband out of the worship band. Right. Because he was a Christian. And right. I mean, it's like a, I could go on. All sure. So, I mean, these are people that love God. God's their highest priority. So, I'm, I'm a little cynical Good. when you bring that up. Good. I absolutely know. I absolutely know that this concept ruffles some feathers. This is probably one of the most hurtful categories I work with with many of my clients, especially how pain has been inflicted in the name of God, in the name of religiosity, spirituality, whatever. 
this, is, this can inflict lots and lots of pain. I still think it's appropriate for us to understand how to love God as healthy as possible, recognizing and knowing that many people through many, many, many centuries and generations have done horrific things in the name of God. Is my microphone on? Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? I can hear me, so I... For my narcissistic moment, I'm doing great, thanks. There we go, Chelsea just kicked it up a little bit. Um, if I act lovingly towards my enemy, I'm going to lose my validation or value. If I act lovingly towards my enemy, I'm going to lose my validation or value. The error is I, I value what flawed, skewed humans think of me. That'd be like me going, oh my goodness, there's some people who are disappointed that I'm leaving. I, 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 I should probably stay because I don't want people to think bad of me. When I think we came to a consensus that their opinion of me would be skewed, right? And so when I have very clean, very clean perspective of where my primary relationship is, I'm okay with people thinking that I'm, that I'm flawed or bad because I recognize their opinion, their perspective is skewed. And I can just, I can move on. Even if messed up people don't value me, I choose to focus on what a perfect God thinks of me. I want my wife to think good of me, not what you guys think of me. I just have that really clear in my head. My value in his eyes is worth dying for. I don't need to be validated by any of you. I don't need to be validated by my enemies. I don't need to be validated by anyone else on this planet if my perspective and my relationship with God is my priority. And then, when you don't actually care what people think of you, holy cow, you can get some stuff done. I mean, you can get some stuff done. It's nice. It's incredibly freeing. Do you hear the freedom that comes in this? Do you hear how unstuck you become? Tremendous freedom. Please. Yes. Yes. And he was saying it's, it's, his description of it was it's more than just I don't care what other people think. Part of it too is saying like I'm letting go of what I think and taking on what God thinks. Yeah. Because I was thinking like if I just sit here and I say I don't care what you think, I can do some really hurtful things. And if I just say I only care what I think, then I can think some really hurtful things mm -hmm. about myself. And mm -hmm. instead I take on like well what does God think? Mm -hmm. That yeah. And treat myself with love yeah. Exactly. I don't think I could have said it any better. So when I need to leave, we're going to have you come up and Ben can stay in the back. <laughs> That's two lunches, Ben. Sorry. <laughs> Terrible. Um, that doesn't really work in the real world. Do you remember that comment from last week? If we love our enemies, it's a good movie, $2.7 billion, world record, but it doesn't actually work in the real world. The error is this world is the only real thing and I need to get as much as I can to be happy. This world is the real world. 
And I would, again, kindly, humbly suggest that everything, everything, everything you win on this earth right now or for the rest of your life will eventually be lost. We can't hold on to anything here. Um, Jim Elliott, name ring a bell? Anyone know who Jim Elliott is? He was, um, back in the 70s, he was um, uh, murdered. Him and four other guys, three other guys, were murdered by some Indians down in Ecuador, I believe. Um, he has a saying that he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up something that you cannot keep to gain something that you can never, ever lose. This does work in the real world because this isn't the real world. C.S. Lewis talks about the Shadowlands. This is, this is a, a dim reflection of what the real world is. And when we constantly have our, re, our focus on that, when we remember what the real world is, again, we can get some stuff done because we don't have to be afraid anymore. Yes. We either have the option to wrestle with a God whose perspective and choice and love stays the same, yep. or we can wrestle against the ever-changing opinions of even ourselves or other people. It's exhausting. And that's exhausting because not everybody's opinion even lines up or is the same. And even ourselves, like, I know my opinion can change from breakfast to lunch. Like, yeah. I'm trying to line, like, yeah. I don't know, trying to line up even what I'm thinking for myself. Yeah to gauge what's right or wrong based on that yeah. is very subjective and moving. And so I don't know if we even with the silver bullet get to get out of wrestling, sure. but I don't know if in the act of wrestling you're not stuck, you're moving. Yeah. Yep. Wrestling is always active. Yes? As loud as you can. Yes. Is based on the assumption that God is all good and all loving. Correct. But what if that's the place where you're stuck? Yes. <laughs> Someone just said, see you next summer. Thanks for coming. Every, every, every position we take has an element of faith we are called to relate to God on a faith level. So if you're going to ask me to sit right now and give you a logical, rational proof that God is good, I won't waste your time. I won't waste my time. The word assumption is a very good assumption. I think it's actually based on evidence. I think it's based on fact. But it is still just that. It is, an, it is a very intentional act of faith. And it will absolutely skew or change how you approach this whole concept because if you, if you are wrestling with the idea that God is not good, sounds like the good piece is more of the hang-up than the all-powerful and all-knowing piece. Okay, so we'll, we'll give them that. Um, but is God good? That is, that is a very big question. Um, and I don't have a quick silver bullet kind of answer for you. 
there's a level of faith that is required of us all. In fact, there's a level of faith that if you land on the position that God is not good, that is by faith. It's not by rationality. So it just depends on which side you pick. It's a very good question, though. I appreciate you asking it. I really do. Yeah. I just finished a book by A.W. Tozer called The Attributes of God. Tozer, wow. That book has got so much evidence to answer the latent question. Hmm. There's still a bit of faith, but there's so much evidence. I'm glad I'm not the only one in the room here who has answers. Okay? If, if you want to have a conversation, already read it. Okay. What's the name of the book again? Name of the book? A.W. Tozer, The Attributes of God. I would also suggest this is the place to wrestle with that question. This is the place to sit with a group and go, this is my dilemma. This is my struggle. And can you move into a place of genuine curiosity and openness to this idea versus confirmation bias? I'm only going to selectively pick information which confirms my belief and typically ignore these other pieces over here. So confirmation bias always jumps in the way of our biases. Yeah, biases? Bicyclicals? Yes. Also, I believe that, and I have been trained and taught, that God wants us to ask questions of him. Yeah. And he will give us the answers. Yeah. And it's not simple. No. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I had really amazing Sure. I mean, experience. Sure. But it took me a long time to remember Yeah. Yeah. It still makes it hard when the answers that you get from God you're still not sure if they're good or right answers. So, again, last week, we could have lots and lots and lots of conversation with this. Continue to wrestle. Um, I get to sit with you for only a short time. This is the place to wrestle with this. So, if you're willing to do that, if anyone is willing to do that, this is the space to do it next week or whenever you guys get started. Alrighty? Um... Let's do one more. I'm not going to do all of them. If I act lovingly towards my enemy, they won't take responsibility. The error is my job. It is my job to make sure everyone does the right thing. I got to make sure that everyone takes responsibility for their behavior. Again, whew, I don't want that job at all. I don't want to be the policeman. That gets exhausting. Instead, my enemy may never take responsibility. I still choose, I, I'm still accountable for my actions before God. I want his approval, so I choose to be responsible and do what he asks of me. That right there, again, that's a fantastic um, concept even within relationships because there's many, many times when I do things that is offensive towards my wife and she acts lovingly towards me. 
It's not because of what I've done. I'm not earning that. She does that because she's doing the right thing. She's taking responsibility for that. When people do me wrong, it is still my responsibility because I'm accountable to God, not to me and not to anyone else. Mother Teresa, you probably have heard this. Um, people are often unreasonable and self-centered. Forgive them anyways. If you are kind, people may accuse you of ulterior motives. Be kind anyways. If you are honest, people may cheat you. Be honest anyways. If you find happiness, people may be jealous. Be happy anyways. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. Do good. Give the world the best you have, and it may never, ever be enough. Give your best anyways. For you see, in the end, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. When you are clear on your relationship, everything, everything becomes very clear. From the woman who worked with the most wretched of people. She, she knew what she, where her priority was. She knew who she was pleasing every day. Humbling, humbling. I crave to have that perspective, and I don't. There are more days than I would be comfortable admitting that I want to get even. I want people to take responsibility. I get ticked off at people who mistreat me. It's a constant struggle. It's a constant growth. I'll continue to work on it. Let's work on it together. That... That is my belief on how to get unstuck. Make sense? Questions? This is where we do some Q&A. This is where we can just, anything from the last several weeks, anything about your particular stuckedness. I know there are other categories we didn't get to touch in here. Things around um, finding purpose in life, not being able to grab those things. How do you figure out what your calling is? feeling stuck in that, relationship stuff, um, lots and lots of, lots of things. So, the floor is yours if you've got any place you want to start. Yes, please. Yep. And perfect. And yep. kind. I struggle with the issue that he loves me because I see myself as unlovable. Oh. And unforgivable in some cases. That being the case, I, I, I can't seem to apprehend, you know, that, that God loves me. Yeah. Um, so that, that creates this massive wall mm -hmm. or chasm. Mm -hmm. between myself and God and, mm -hmm. and being able to implement all these truths in my life. You know, I've been a Christian for, since the 70s. Yeah. But I'm still wrestling with my Christianity. Yeah. And my beliefs. My beliefs. Yeah. So, you know, I don't, and then I feel like, you know, I sit in church and I feel like the Lone Ranger. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm the only individual who's really struggling and, and even questioning my salvation. 
Do I need to be in the Bible more? Do me a quick favor. Go ahead and stand up for me, if you wouldn't mind. I take my shoes off. Yes, you're in good company. <laughs> Go ahead and turn around. Look at everyone here. Every single person is, is wrestling and struggling in some way. I could tell you the stories that they, many of them have shared with me in a whole variety of contexts. You are not the only one who's asking the hard questions, who's wrestling, who's struggling. It is, it is uncomfortable. And the fact that you're willing to say, I feel like the only one, I feel like the only guy who's, mm -hmm. who's wrestling with this, um, that's what struggling does. It isolates us. It, it mm -hmm. keeps us by ourselves. And so I want, you to, I want you to look at the people here. Again, even comments we've heard tonight. There are people who are wrestling with the idea that God is good, okay? You might, you, might have a, you might have a kindred spirit right back here, okay? And the answers are not quick and easy, and I would do you disservice to, to say that they are quick and easy. Um, here would be the, you can have a seat. Here would be the context for how I would answer this, because the common answer amongst a lot of churches for a lot of times is you need to simply read your Bible and pray more, and then you get better. That is the primary complaint I hear from people who have had religiosity thrown at them. So, I want you to hear that reading your Bible and praying more is a good thing, okay? It's not a bad thing at all. But I also would like to add one other component, which is our humanity tends to shape our perspective or our model of how we view God. Um, the kind of interaction I have with my friends, with my family, um, family growing up, my family now, helps shape how I view relationships in general. And I, I oftentimes ascribe those characteristics to a, a heavenly or eternal relationship as well. So if I have been um, forgotten, mistreated in some way, it's common sense for me to go, well, of course, anyone who's in a relationship with me is, is going to mistreat me or, or forget about me. And we ascribe those, those relational patterns to a good God. Um, and so how I get, again, that's my favorite question. That's the number one thing I try to answer in all of the summer series is the how piece. Um, With this one, and this is where I get a lot of resistance from many of my clients as I, as I walk through this with them, um, as you become more vulnerable with real human beings on a daily basis, when you can find a safe place where you can say, I'm going to do something that scares the hell out of me, literally, and tell you something that I've never told, told anybody else, when I'm going to face that shame and you run that risk, and these people sit with you and they actually draw closer to you because you have chosen to be that vulnerable, it starts to change your opinion or your model of relationships, and it actually becomes easier to literally feel God doing that to you. 
we're human beings. We can see each other. We're, we're tangible. We can touch. We can hear. I can ask a question. You can respond back to me. And we can actually have a dialogue. That's often easier than doing it with God, right? He doesn't show up all the time. I didn't have coffee with him this morning. Wish I could. I really wish I could. That, I think, would make life a heck of a lot easier. But he doesn't offer that. He doesn't offer that. In fact, again, I think it's real clear in Scripture, we are called to do that for each other. We become Christ. Because I was loved unconditionally, I now get to love you unconditionally. And God doesn't need to show up for that. I am Christ to you. When we do that, God literally shows up and it starts to shape our opinion of relationship with God. So, for those who are wrestling, and again, I know a lot of you are, for those who are wrestling, instead of looking at, well, how is God, what is his characteristics, what's his opinion, I need proof kind of thing, go to the, what have been the relationships in my life, what is my model for, for relationships, and am I applying that to my relationship with God? When you start to examine that, I think things start to become more clear. But again, back to the experiential piece, you have to try something different, and it scares the crap out of you. But when you do it, and when you do it well, it's transformative. Transformative. Does that make sense? I like a grid. That's a good way of putting it. Absolutely. Here's, here's how I process and hang information, especially around relationships. And that grid is now being overlaid into a, a very important relationship. Very good. Very good way of putting it. That was week four, three, somewhere in there. Yes? Yep. Does God meet us first, or are we met through each other? First? Yeah. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. I'm really looking forward to the first three seconds of being dead. That is going to be fantastic, because everything's going to become crystal clear, all these answers. And I think what we will find out, and again, I think what Scripture clearly, clear, clearly teaches us is... Um, God is interacting with us in ways that are compassionate, kind, loving, generous, gracious, and we have zero idea of what's going on. And again, those first three seconds, we're going we're gonna to see everything. And all of these things that I'm going, man, look how good I am. Look at, look at all these amazing things I've done. We're now going to see behind the curtain, and we're going to go, oh, never mind. <laughs> Wasn't me at all. Um, his grace his grace is, is profound her question was um, let me see if I can repeat it really a, a synopsis here chicken or egg does God love us first or do we love him first sort of I get that kind of right and and I, again, I argue that, okay, we'll stick with that. Other questions? Being stuck, getting unstuck. Please. I haven't been here for all of the talk, and so to speak, you mentioned something about being 
Did we mention getting stuck in a career? Um, we didn't talk about career specifically, no. A calling, um, a how do we know what we're supposed to do? Um, um, I can't give you a synopsis because we didn't actually talk about it directly, but um, I actually have been preparing some stuff on that, and here would be the synopsis of that. Um, you guys ever see Dirty Jobs? Mike Rowe? There's a guy I'd like to have coffee with. I mean, I think everyone would like to have coffee with Mike Rowe. Talk about a down-to-earth kind of every man persona. And anyone familiar with what he's kind of doing now, now that Dirty Jobs is no longer around? What's he doing? Yeah, well, someone's got to do it. That, that's his new TV show. But he's also becoming active. He has to get a nonprofit and doing some stuff. Ford commercials. He's paying the bills. He's got to pay the bills somehow for sure. Exactly. He, he, after doing five seasons of Dirty Jobs, has come up with this. His, he's recognizing that there's been this odd um, sales pitch given that says you need to get a job that will be as clean and as low energy as possible, and then that is a better job than... Oh boy, some of his jobs are sketchy, but somebody's got to do it. Um, and he is, he is actually trying to get vocations, tactile, manual labor kinds of skills that are being lost with the technology right now. Good welders, good, good um, heavy equipment operators, um, good carpenters, craftsmen, again, artisans, again. And he's setting up a foundation that for people who want to do that. Again, it's remarkable that he talks about things. Um, he had an interview with someone. Um, uh, in Las Vegas, and this woman says, we've got, I think, 15 jobs right now for heavy equipment bulldozer drivers and backhoe operators, and the starting salary is 60 grand a year. That's not a bad way to start a job, and after five years, you work your way up into six figures. And we're all going, well, I'm supposed to go to college and get a degree in information technology, but I don't like computers. But that's kind of the better thing. And so, again, we have to look at the grid. What's the grid we've been sold on what kind of jobs we're supposed to have? I think that we find purpose in life. I think we find the things that we are good at in a couple of ways. I think we do that by looking at innate skills and abilities. Um, you don't want me to be your accountant. You just don't want that. I don't care. Um, Five dollars this way or that, and we're balanced. We're just good. <laughs> scares my wife many, many times. And I recognize that and say, jobs with numbers isn't going to be my, isn't going to be my gifting. Um, so finding, you can whittle out half of those jobs right there. I think, um, again, Mike Rowe talks about this idea of you have to find your passion. And he goes, that's absolutely ridiculous. You don't have to find your passion. You can make things your passion. Again, that's his, that's his premise, but we're being sold this. You have to find your passion. I actually don't know where I fall on that because there are some people who actually go, I'm going to be spending 
40, 50, 60 hours a day at my job. I better really, really like it and, and because that's going to take up so much time and I need to be fulfilled at that. And so they really look for what brings me passion, what brings me, what, what brings me joy and happiness. And then there are other people who genuinely go, I can go to a job and I can make widgets and I actually don't care. And my job isn't that fulfilling for me because my life begins on Friday at 5 o'clock and I go and I enjoy the entire weekend with my family and my stuff and that's where I find my fulfillment and joy. And so either one of those people can, can find contentment and happiness. What kind of person are you? I don't know what that is. Okay? Are you a person who goes, I, I want my job to be fulfilling? That would be kind of a vocation piece, especially if you have a, we'll call it a ministry mindset, where you want what you are doing to have a greater impact on eternity rather than just the bottom line and bringing in dollars. So, um, again, something I learned about myself is, is I couldn't go and make widgets. Actually, I would enjoy it for about, 60 days. It would be really nice sometimes just to turn my brain off. That's why I like working on cars because they're just easy and simple and basic and, and broken part. You unbolt, you take it off, you put a new part in and the problem's fixed. Being a counselor, people aren't that way. Boy, I'm trying to figure out how to make that happen. Just doesn't happen yet. But I couldn't do that long term. For me personally, I want, I want my job to have an eternal impact in some way. And I've learned that about myself. Some of you might go, I, I need my job to have, have a greater impact than just, just bottom line or money or product or whatever that is. So as you get clear on that, um, you start to kind of find categories. And then the last section is, I think you have to try. I don't think anyone's going to show up and go, I've been studying you from afar and I know exactly what the right job is for you. I have a long and checkered history of jobs that I have done. Some of them I will never do again, and some of them I genuinely miss. Um, but each job was an iteration. I had to do that job to get to the next job, and I had to do that job to get to the next job. And so the trial, the trying and, and failing, or actually not failing, it's the trying and refining. Oh. I did this, and I really like this portion of it, but I don't like this, so I'm going to find the next iteration, and that, that emphasizes this bigger piece. And so you move through two or three. I don't think you're going to find it the first time out the gate. I just don't think you're going to find it. So try. The faster you get in, the faster you adjust. Yeah. Right. Um, it was about like basically there not being this wrong. I can't remember enough to convey it. Got it. So I was hoping you would for her. Um, <laughs> because it was like there was this timeline that kind of said if you step off, yes. it was like wrong. Almost, yes. Or yeah. Can you I can. Um, what she's referring to is this, this linear belief that we have, which is happiness is over here. And I have to choose the right job, the right marriage, the right partner, the right school, the right retirement plan. And I have to get all of those right, and then I'll find happiness at the end. And I would argue that that is not how it works at all. Instead, we are presented with choice after choice after choice. So right now, where I'm at right now, I have limited options available to me. I could, I could quit my job right now, and I could become this, this, or this. 
pick one, and then after I pick that one, I'll have three other options, four other options, nine other options, this one, this one, or this one, and we, we have to be willing to meander, to wander a little bit, and be surprised at where we end up. I actually think that's a better route. I think it's fascinating sometimes. Again, it's the idea of get lost. Go for a drive and leave your GPS and your smartphone in the glove box and see where you end up. Have a general idea. I want to I want to head that way and let's see where I end up and you'll be surprised at amazing things. So, be willing, be willing to be curious about it rather than I have to find happiness out here. We find happiness at every one of those points. Right now, the good and the bad that my life is experiencing right now, it is still tremendously shaping and refining. And I'm thankful for everything I'm going through right now because it's going to push me or nudge me to the next thing that I got going on. And I don't know what it's going to look like 20 years from now because I don't want it to look like it is now. That would just be boring. I can't wait for it to be different. Does that make sense for other people who have questions around purpose and things like that? You won't go through the trials if you're online with him. Is that what you said? Well, that, I, that I'll be, you know, I'll have the perfect job. I'll have the perfect relationship if, if I am doing God's will. That's what I heard, and I know that's not true. Right. Yeah. Boy, I sure wish I could promise that. Yeah. If you just are a good enough Christian, you're going to have a really good job, and you're not going to have any pain. Let's not make that promise. In fact, again, as I read scripture, I read the exact opposite. People who tend to prioritize God will encounter significant struggles in this world. Yes. Um, okay, I don't know how to really phrase my question. Um, I'll, I'll just start. Wrestle with it. You talked about state changes. State changes. Yeah. Yep. But have gotten ultimately kind of bumped back to whatever place you are. Yep. So, yeah, being, um, I think it's like you're, you're conditioned and you're stuckness, and then you make that state change, right? Then getting, pulling back and being more isolated and feeling like it's impossible for that breakthrough. Yeah. 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 Um, I would I would think that in general, again, I, I'm not going to make a global statement here, but I think I can make a general statement, which means the idea of a breakthrough is a misnomer. I don't think that is, that is how change is produced. Very rarely. Well, here's how I, I, the exception to this is crisis produces breakthrough. The heart attack I have 
and I now have this tremendous revelation of everything that I could have lost, that would be a, a breakthrough, but it comes with a heart attack, with a cancer diagnosis, with the loss of someone that I love. Those are the ones that tend to push us off the cliff unexpectedly. We didn't even know we were near a cliff on, on that one. Outside of crisis kinds of situations, um, I have never observed a breakthrough in any of my clients, in any of myself, in any of most people who change. Most of it is what you described, which is this three steps forward, two steps back, three forward, two back, and it's this wrestling, it's this struggle. And it, the people who get discouraged because they have an expectation that I should be further faster, I should find happiness faster, are the ones who go, this isn't working, I give up, it's crap, and I'm just going to do whatever I can to numb out, bail out, and, and just find happiness. And they start to compromise health. Um, we have to wrestle. We have to claw. We have to, we have to develop tenacity. Grit. Again, there's a fantastic TED Talk on grit. The ability to have stick-to-itiveness. This is actually the positive side of stuck which is, I, I, I'll be damned if I'm going to miss out on what this is over here, and it doesn't matter, doesn't matter who gets in the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it. So, as you, as you move forward and you slip back, I think every time you can go, here I am again, what did I learn? How did that last round change me? Because you are never the same. You actually never go back to the exact same place, because you have a new experience under your belt now. And when you choose to adopt the concept of I'm letting everything shape me, then nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. And everything can be redeemed, turned from rotten to good. Um, again, stories of being fired, stories of cars breaking down, stories of this, stories of that. Um, and I can adopt the perspective of, all right, Lord, what are you going to, here I am. I'm on the side of the road. What an interesting place. I would rather not be here, but I also know I'm not out of your, I'm not out of your control. I'm not out of your love. How, how do you want to make this experience? What can I walk away with? That is, that's like a superpower. It is a true superpower. But the world is going to look at you and go, you're stuck on the side of the road. That, don't you want to be over here? We've got a great credit card that'll get you there in in very low interest rate of 29%. <laughs> and we have to have our perspective who we're going to please. Yes, please. Me? Yes. Oh, thank God my arm was starting to hurt. We don't want that to happen. Jeez. So I was going to fall off. But anyway, since I'd made God that night, he solved all the I was going to have that it was happening. Yeah. He solved my stuckness. He solved my issues. He saved me. Yeah. In a way that you didn't expect or ask for. No. No. Who would ask no. for that? I mean, I don't wish it on one single person. Doesn't matter what they've done. Yeah. I had to start life all over again. Your accident, your accident was a reset button. And, and you are examining your choices and perspectives again. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. It's great. 
Go for it. What's your question? How do you take the first steps? How to take the first steps? Um, can you be more specific around a particular topic or? How do we get to know God better? Yes. What's the first steps of doing that? Yeah. Um, again, poor people should take rich people out to lunch more often. If you, yeah. if you, if you want to find, if you, if you want to develop a skill within yourself, find somebody who's already doing it well. So pick somebody who you, you've observed, you've noticed, has has the relationship with God that you actually would like to embrace in some way and say, can I follow you around for a while? Can I ask you some questions? How did you do it? Where, where, where did you start? And that conversation with them wrapped in a story, actually, through my personal experience, through watching many, many, many people change, people change in relationship best. That's how I would start. It's how Christ did it, by the way. Walks around, finds a bunch of fishermen, and goes, hey, follow me. I'm buying lunch. Yes. And for three years, they followed him around and changed the world. Yep. Yep. How do you support someone who is stuck and they don't want to become unstuck? Or like, for example, I have a family member right now who's struggling with um, a lot of things and wants change but doesn't want to do anything to change. And it's a very tough place to be like, how do I support you and, and support your desire to grow and change and move out of this place when you actually, when this person does not want to yeah, that's one of the hardest situations at all. When you watch someone knowingly be in, in a painful situation, they want to get out, but they can't apply. They can't put any action to it. That is incredibly difficult. Um, I got two answers with that. First is um, you be that rich person live your life as healthy as possible so they can become jealous in a way, a positive jealousy. They can go, how, how, how are you doing that? My gosh, if it's working for you, I, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to actually try it myself because you are modeling what that healthy behavior looks like. Again, we change in relationship. So when you, when you, can, when you can demonstrate that, it, it will challenge their status quo. And then the second answer is <sighs> you, you empathetically listen and continue to go, when will it be enough? The pain of the same, the pain they're experiencing because they're keeping their life the same, has to become greater than the pain of change. A lot of time people go, for me to change is gonna hurt, it's gonna be uncomfortable, and I don't wanna be uncomfortable. The reality is their life is already uncomfortable. But they're comfortable in their 
they're comfortable in their uncomfortableness in a way. The pain of the same, this pain over here, has to become greater than the pain of change. And sometimes that costs them more and more and more. And again, we can go back to the child state kind of comment back there, which is, in a, uh, even though they might be biologically an adult, if they're approaching life in a child state and they feel helpless and they feel stuck and they have no power, um, then they have to kind of work through that stuff first before they're going to apply anything because if they, still, if they still see the world through childlike eyes, then they will always be stuck. Um, so they have a little growing up to do. Um, if they're already adults, it, even maturity-wise, um, then they have to learn that they don't have to tolerate things anymore. They have to actually put it into practice, but you have to wait for them. It's, again, I watch a lot of people burn themselves out trying to change somebody else who doesn't actually want to change. And I will suggest that that's a misuse of your very limited time and energy. Be compassionate towards them but let them hurt. One, two. Um, I think there needs to be a little bit of a distinction between a temporal state change and a permanent new normal. Okay, what do you mean? And, and so one of the things that I know for me, my, my current normal is I'm pretty happy-go-lucky. If I had a theme song, it would be feeling groovy or okay. you know, whatever, Streetcar Symphony or whatever it's called. Okay. Um, but uh, when I have a down moment, I know I can change that state back to my normal. Right. Like, and when I, if I'm going into an interview or something like that, I know you know the harm's up or whatever. I can I can change my state and sure. have the energy and that kind of stuff. Um, but if I wanted to move up a notch permanently, permanently, um, you know, I I don't know the same tools would work. Right. And so, for example, uh, when I was younger, I was extremely angry. Okay. And people would people recognized that I had an anger problem. Mm -hmm. And Wow. That's so weird. Yeah. People would say that about you. Huh. And so there's been a state, there's been a permanent new normal for me. Um, and I know for me, it, there was a lot of things. It was a crisis and some other things that happened. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I'm curious, like the gals back here that asked about that. Right. Like those little things, like listening to upbeat music, praying, exercising, those little things. Right. Temporally. Uh, permanency comes through um, sustained behavior. Um, I call it maturity. Call what? Maturity. Um, I, think, I think many of us behave in certain ways that are immature in, in whatever situation. And as we, as we continue to mature, we, we adopt a state which says, I'll allow people to give me feedback. I'll be challenged. I'll do self-introspection. I'm willing to recognize that I'm not perfect and I actually need to improve then you, you will continue to mature into your decisions, in your long-term state. Um, and, and our goal, our goal as human beings, in my opinion, is to become whole and holy. We want to become as Christ-like as possible. And that comes through constant reflection, examination, um, input from others. Um, and so our, I guess our permanent state with there would be curiosity and growth. We want to be, we want to be constantly um, 
examining ourselves so that we can improve. In fact, that is the number one criteria I talk to my daughter about as she's looking for a long-term mate. It is, you know, I want you to marry somebody who is willing to grow, who, who has the willingness, the openness, and the capacity to live a self-examined life and to change because I don't want him to be the same at 21, 22 as he's going to be at 42. That would be problematic. So that is an incredibly essential characteristic to have, and I would argue one of the major definitions of health uh, is someone who's going to be willing to grow and change and, and examine themselves. And that's what creates a long-term permanent state change. Sir. Yeah. Had, you know, big breakthroughs, some stuff. But there's still areas where now where I fall back into steps. Yep. And uh, um, it's like it's specifically around like romantic relationships. Okay. And and I think maybe it has to do with like this maturity piece that you're talking about. Yep. Mm -hmm. I had that same vigor and energy that I didn't care and I was willing to do anything mm -hmm. to change. Mm -hmm. And I wish that I could apply that now in my life mm -hmm. because I would get so far mm. having that same uh, tenacity. Yeah. And I wish that I had it back. Yeah. Very much so. <laughs> you want that state again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just wondering, any, any thoughts on um, Yeah, here would be my general thoughts, okay? This isn't a commercial, but it might be a commercial, depending upon feedback. Um, the concept of relationships, primarily romantic relationships, is, is right now probably one of the top um, topics I'm, I'm hearing from lots and lots and lots and lots of people. And I think that it would actually be a really good time to sit down in a group like this and have a conversation around that. Um, I actually call it check yes or no. Remember fourth grade, you ha ask your buddy to ask the girl out that you like and here's the note, check yes or no, do you like me kind of thing. Um, and to have conversations with a group of men and women in the, same, in the same room and find out, men, what do you think? Women, what do you think? Compare notes. What is, what's getting in the way of all this relationship stuff right now? How come it's so difficult, hard, scary, frustrating, disappointing, all of this stuff? I'm putting that together. I don't know how any. I don't have, any, don't have a venue for it, but it is a, it's, a, it's a big, big question um, that... I would love to wrestle with. Again, I don't have all the answers. I think I have some general concepts that reflecting maturity, state changes, all those things. Um, but the bigger question I hear is, how do I get back to a particular state that I was in in the past that I recognize was helpful, beneficial, motivating, I was making forward progress? Um, because what you said earlier was exactly uh, true, is you're like, that are you comfortable right now 
the same. The pain of the same has to be greater than the pain of change. Yes, exactly. Right. Um, and that's kind of the place that I'm at. Yeah. yeah. Um, $3 million question. The $3 million question. That check I wrote and have your name on it. Yeah. We, we, can, we can endure a lot of pain when we have something tremendous value kind of at the end. But again, we'll kind of end on this. The state change piece. Um, I actually think that you don't have to wait for pain to, to be your motivator. You can go, what actually was going on? Where was I? What was I doing? What was I not doing? Um, who was I surrounding myself with? What music was I listening to? What job did I have? How, what were the ingredients that created, that helped me get into this state of flow, this, this very productive productive state. Again, I referred to it a couple weeks ago about I found out that I type best on my iPad at 2.30 in the morning laying on my couch when it's pitch black. Surprises me, but now I have those, those ingredients in the cake and I can just put all those ingredients back together um, and create get closer to it. Um, I have other states that I, I become very creative in that surprise me, and I actually very intentionally bring my iPad with me because I just know when I'm, when I'm in those places, I'm going to start cooking, and I want to be writing stuff down. Um, start identifying the elements of that because most of that state change is actually dependent upon environment and physical, physical dynamics. That's, that's our actual chemistry that makes that happen. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, there's still a lot of questions. It's 8.52. I'm willing to keep going as long as you guys are for, is that okay, Ben? I know 10 more minutes, 10 more minutes. It's his fault. <sighs> One, two, three. Um, so I'll try to make this quick. Okay. So how, I think I've kind of mastered the like being nice with myself. Okay. Yep. And because some, I'll start to kind of get anxious, and yeah. before you know it, I'm just getting more and more yep. stuck. And um, I just want to know how I can be more of an encouragement to myself. The concept of the seasons, again, I think I might have mentioned this. When we believe we get into a state, a down, depressed, discouraged state, the thing that makes it start to cycle back on itself and create this kind of feedback loop and worry and worry is because we actually believe I'm going to be this way for a long, 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 long time and I just don't want to experience that. We're moving into fall and winter here. We believe that winter is actually going to last forever. We'll never see spring. We're never going to see summer again. How many of us are going, that sounds exciting. Okay. We got a special group for you. Okay. Um, <laughs> when we believe that we're going to go into a cold, dark place, and it, it won't end, that's what creates this fear, the stuckedness. When we give ourselves permission to go, right now it's two days, I'm just having a bad couple days, I know I'm gonna move out of this state and into something else, and I trust that I don't actually have to do anything. I don't have to fix myself. I'm gonna, I'm going to, how that, bump up against something? We, we're, gonna, we're gonna ride it out, okay? This too shall pass, then, 
Again, it's actually winter's not bad when you know that it's not gonna last forever. Buy some skis, a lot of hot chocolate, and a good stack of books, okay? And winter actually doesn't become that bad. So give yourself permission to write it out. Lots of times I'll just wake up and it's like, I have no idea why, honey, but right now I'm just, it's not a good day. I am off in some way. Something is just not lining up. I'm a little, I'm just a little tweaked right now. I have no idea how it's gonna last, how long it's gonna last. I'm probably gonna need a little bit of help. I'm gonna need a little bit of patience and just want you to know. And she goes, thanks for letting me know, appreciate that. I'll try to take as much weight off of your shoulders as possible and, you know, make sure the kids are distracted and they don't bother you so you can just kind of move through this. And I just, I've actually become curious. Again, this is a weirdness that is me. Um, I started actually going, let's see how low I can get. Let's see where the bottom is. Let's see what this feels like really at, at, the, very, at the very bottom because I wonder what that experience is gonna be like. You become curious about it rather than scared by it. And that changes the experience totally. And, and again, it's empowering, which is refreshing. So that's how I'd probably tag that. There was three and there was two, yes. Sometimes in my desire to change, I overthink things. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Paulisms. Yes. I just gave one. This too shall pass. <laughs> It's actually, it's a tremendous, there's actually a story behind it. Um, I wish I had time to tell the story. Um, look up that phrase on Google, this too shall pass. Story about a ring, okay? Let's see if you come up with a story. Um, I have lots and lots of pithy sayings. Um, I wish I had time to go into them right now. I should start a collection of Paulisms, um, which are basically all ripped off from other people, so they're not actually mine. I totally and completely admit that they're not mine. M much, much smarter people than I have, have done those, but they've meant something to me, and I've tried to apply them in my life because they're about all I can remember in certain moments. Um, I actually will go back to the concept, though. Um, sometimes those pithy sayings actually lose their impact because they just become so rote. The things that produce the most change in my life are people. When I'm in a more stuck place, I actually very intentionally try to find relationship, people, human beings that I can sit with, people that, that are already where I want to be, and I try to hang out with them. People who, they might not be where I want to be, but they are willing to challenge me or willing to sit with me or willing to be with me. Those are the ones who get me out of that, that feedback loop, that stuck kind of overthinking things. Um, again, I'm fortunate enough to have a wife who, who does that a lot with me. My wife who just goes, Paul, you're so, you're so lost in your head right now that you have no idea what reality is at the moment. So I'm not letting you make any decisions right now, <laughs> which is probably a really good thing. It's probably very safe. Um, 
Again, some people don't have a spouse like that, but, but they have friends like that. They have groups like this that can find that. So find people. That people are better than, than pithy sayings. It's riskier. Yeah. There we go. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That keeps me stuck. Yeah. That's kind of not, you know, we didn't really talk about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. How, how does regret, you know, sort of work in the in your brain and in your situation and being able to look honestly at your situation, but yet not take it so personally that you. Yeah. Regret can be debilitating. Regret can, can suck a lot of life out of, again, our limited time and energy. Um, and regret usually um, lives around the concept of what I have done is so bad that the person I've hurt or the situation I've missed out on, um, I can never, ever get back or they're never going to get better or, or something like that. It's kind of this this permanently stuck in the past kind of thing. Um, and the most effective tool that I have learned um, learned to try to apply, I don't do it good every time, um, and other people who kind of do this as well, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a skill you learn how to develop. Um, I have to trust that people heal. When you come to the concept and say either the people that I've done something and hurt, that I've hurt them in some way, I trust that they are going to heal just like if I've done something and I've hurt myself and I regret an opportunity or something over here, I trust that I will heal. I do not stay wounded forever. We're actually not designed to do that. If I cut my hand... The way we're physically designed is, is we are supposed to, if there's no infection, there's no shrapnel, there's no disease in there, it will heal up. It'll leave a beautiful scar. I pointed my hand because I got a nice scar from a washing machine that it won the fight I was battling with. We have scars. We have stories that we're able to tell, but they don't get in the way anymore. My hand doesn't hurt. My hand, the wound doesn't split open every time I move my hand. I heal. And when you, when you start to understand that other people that I've hurt will heal, I will heal, then we can go, there's nothing else for me to do. I can actually get better. Does that make sense? Again, conceptually, an application, there's some wrestling with that, but the concept of, of we're designed to heal is remarkable, remarkable. And there's a biological time frame for emotional healing. If you break your arm, you put a cast on it, how long does it take your arm to heal? Nope, not a week. Six to eight weeks. Does the cast actually fix the broken arm? What does it do? Keeps it in place. It's a framework so that the body can heal itself. If you look at your arm and go, heal faster, heal faster, heal faster, heal faster. Will it, will it heal faster? 
Nope. If you take the cast off early, like I did in junior high, because I was tired of the cast I had on there, and then you fall on your arm again, what happens? You get to wear a new cast longer. <laughs> over and over. We can actually slow down the healing by removing that framework. But if we are wounded, if we're hurt, or we hurt somebody else, we can either help put, the, put a framework around them so they can heal. They can put a framework around themselves so they can heal, or we can put a framework around ourselves so we can heal but we will heal. Our emotional healing for a major crisis, death, divorce, major kind of things, 18 months to two years. That's just the biological time frame of healing. It's called the grieving process. And again, I've talked about this in other times. Ladies and gentlemen, it has been an honor and a privilege to spend some time with you. I, 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 I genuinely view the opportunity to interact and, and to speak with you as a, as a sacred privilege. Um, I'm honored that you would trust me with, with getting to, I don't know, lead, dialogue, whatever it is. Um, I've enjoyed getting to spend some time with, with each and one of, every one of you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information, please visit paulelmore.com.